The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 142, a contemplation of David, a prayer when he was in the cave. I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord, I make my supplication. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then you knew my path in the way in which I walk. They have secretly set a snare for me. Look on my right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise your name. The righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountifully with me. Oh, we're in Judges 5. This will be our last sermon from the Song of Deborah. This is part four. It's Judges 5, 24 through 31. Most blessed among women is Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Blessed is she among women in tents. He asked for water. She gave milk. She brought out cream in a lordly bowl. She stretched her hand to the tent peg, her right hand to the workman's hammer. She pounded Sisera, she pierced his head. She split and struck through his temple. At her feet he sank. He fell. He lay still. At her feet he sank. He fell. Where he sank, there he fell dead. The mother of Sisera looked through the window and cried out through the lattice, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarries the clatter of his chariots? Her wisest ladies answered her. Yes, she answered herself. Are they not finding and dividing the spoil? To every man a girl, or two. For Sisera, plunder of dyed garments, plunder of garments embroidered and dyed. Two pieces of dyed embroidery for the neck of the looter. Thus let all your enemies perish, O Lord, but let those who love him be like the sun when it comes out in full strength. So the land had rest for 40 years. A question that I am commonly asked is, which translation is the best one to use? It shows that the person is truly caring about knowing and understanding what is right and good. Unfortunately, there is no sufficient answer to that question. There are translations that I would never recommend, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, the New World Translation. There are others that are interesting, but not very literal. Some are so literal that they're hard to read without an accompanying explanation. I prefer those, but some people would be like, I just don't get this. Others are geared toward a particular group, like children's Bibles, that speak in a particular way, even if they are not especially literal. When I translate a verse for a sermon or commentary, I give the most literal possible rendering. That is because it has already been given with an understandable translation, the New King James Version, unless otherwise noted for sermons and commentaries. There are some words in the original languages that are hard to pin down as to their exact meaning, or they may have several meanings, just like some English words do. 
In the Song of Deborah and other poetic passages, another layer of translation is necessary to get the sense as well. In fact, it may be that a less literal rendering, while matching the secondary layer, may be the better choice for translating. For example, in Judges 5, verse 25, it says, She brought out cream in a lordly bowl. In the Hebrew, there is an alliteration that is sadly missed. Hence, something like brought buttermilk, came with curd, or carried cream actually gives the sense of the intended alliteration. The point is that the only way to properly convey the original is to give the original. But that would mean we would all need to be proficient in Hebrew, which is something totally unnecessary. Our text verse comes from Ephesians 3. It's verses 11 and 12. According to the eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Paul speaks of confidence through faith in Christ. We should not be so dogmatic in choosing a particular translation that we forget that we are to have confidence in Christ. In Judges 4, Sisera was seen to represent misplaced confidence or even pride. Intent of having our priorities out of whack as to where we will place our confidence, and I'm talking to translational snobs here, we should be confident in Jesus and the overall message of Scripture. All the rest of what we do is to bolster that, be it in deeper prayer, researching translations, learning the original languages, and so on. The reason why I say that about the uh, translational snobs is just yesterday, I think it was yesterday, it might have been a day ago because it's, you know, 12 hours ahead or seven hours ahead of us, but a guy uh, emailed me about leaving his church. And he said the reason why he's doing that is because they're King James only and all they do is belittle other translations. They just do it to the point of nausea. Yeah. And there's no joy in that church. They're saying something that, one, is untrue. I used to say that the King James Version was a marginal translation. I don't say that anymore. I say it's a poor translation. I've been translating from the King James Version now for books of the Bible. I do it every single morning out of the book of Acts when I do my daily commentary. The first thing I do is translate from the Greek, comparing it to the King James Version. And I make a running log of the errors in the King James Version. I'm up to hundreds and hundreds of pages, which is probably tens of thousands of errors. So be careful what you believe, why you believe, because there are people that are absolutely sold on this is the only Bible version, and if you're not reading this, you're going to hell. Be careful with what people believe, okay? You check things out first. Let us not get sidetracked and have our eyes torn away from the main object of our faith, Jesus. Sound doctrine is important. A good friend, I'm sorry, a good translation is too, and a good friend is as well. These can be determined with time and effort, but the basics should be understood so that we don't get lost in our walk towards glory. Now, I said friend because when I was reading that, Sergio's right in front of me and he came to mind. I can't think of a better friend I have in the world. Out of all the people I've ever had friendship with, I, he's the most important to me. That doesn't mean anybody else is less important. It's just that I rely on him for everything. As he sinks down into his chair, eyes on Jesus. That is the most basic and important point of all. It is a truth that is clearly presented in his superior word. And so let us turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through his word today. And may his glorious name ever be praised. I've got just two thoughts for you today. The first is, she pounded Sisera. It's verses 24 through 27. 
In the last verse, there was a curse pronounced upon those who failed to attend to the call. This is how we ended last week's verses. Curse Meroz, said messenger Yehovah, cursing, curse her inhabitants, for no one came to help Yehovah, to help Yehovah in the mighties. That curse upon Meroz of Israel is now responded to with a great blessing upon an individual Gentile woman. Verse 24, most blessed among women is Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Blessed is she among women in tents. Teborach menashim Yael, eshet chever hakeni, menashim ba'ohel teborach. Blessed from women, Jael. The expression from women indicates a superlative, as in more than. If there is a group of women all sitting together, and one is especially gorgeous, that would happen if Hedico was sitting among them. Someone might say, from all of them, she is the most beautiful. This is the sense of the phrase. In this case, the group is not yet further defined. Thus, at least at this moment in time, it speaks of all women. Yael is blessed more than or above all other women. This then is set in contrast to the words about Moroz, cursing cursor inhabitants. Where they are cursed with a curse, Jael is blessed above all others. It is an expression not unlike that spoken to Mary by her relative Elizabeth. It says in Luke 1.42, Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. As for Jael, to ensure that the proper Jael is identified, the next words are given. Wife, Heber, the Kenite. These words confirm the imprecation called down upon Moroz. Yael is the wife of Heber the Kenite, a non-Israelite. And yet she acted, responding to the need of the nation. While Moroz was providing refuge to the enemy, Jael was living out her name. As noted when she was introduced, the name means mountain goat. But in a deeper sense, it conveys the idea of one who gets somewhere because of a practical skill. Jael had a practical skill hammering ten pegs. In applying that skill, she has gotten somewhere. She has the adoration of Deborah and indeed all of Israel. To this day, she is remembered in the word of God in the exact opposite manner as Moroz. With that, the fuller definition of how she is blessed is next stated. From women in the tent, blessed. The same word begins and ends the three clauses. Also, in the first and second clause, there is a poetic connection between the name Yael and the words in the tent, which are Ba'ohel. The words are pleasing to the ear, while calling to mind the idea of the greatly blessed nature of the heroine. Blessed from women Yael, from women Ba'ohel. Blessed. This final clause ensures that from women is restricted to a certain category, meaning in the tent. That way, it will not later cause a contradiction or a confusion when the words to Mary are spoken. Yael is blessed from women in the tent. Mary is blessed among all women without any qualifiers. However, the word tent is also used to describe the human body, such as in the words of Paul from 2 Corinthians 5. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Peter uses the same expression in his second epistle. Therefore, it could be argued that Jael is blessed above women who literally dwelt in tents, but she is also blessed above women dwelling in human tents. As noted, the words are set in contrast to the previous verse about Moroz. They were cursed with a curse, 
while Jael is blessed with a blessing. The words form an A-B-A pattern with a pleasingly poetic internal structure. Teborach menashim Yael eshet chever hakeni menashim ba'ohel. Teborach. Blessed from women Jael. A, B is wife, Heber the Kenite. A, from women in the tent. Blessed. Next, to lavish further praises upon Jael, Deborah takes time to explain what it was that made her the great heroine of the nation. Verse 25, he asked for water, she gave milk. She brought out cream in a lordly bowl. Mayim sha'al chalav natana, besefel adarim hikriva chema. The words are masculine and feminine, explaining who did what, but as long as the subject is understood, there's no need to say he and she. Such specific identifiers are not used by Deborah. To represent the abruptness of the words, I have left them out. Water asked, milk gave. The words take us back to Judges 4, where it says, Then he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a jug of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the door of the tent, and if any man comes and inquires of you and says, Is there any man here? You shall say, No. Cicero was parched. He needed water, and so he asked. But going a step further to accommodate him, she brought him milk. Next, to highlight the superlative nature of the milk and the honorable way it was presented, Deborah says, In bowl majesties came curd. The same word used in verse 513 to describe the people. Adarim, or majesties, is used to describe the bowl. Some translations paraphrase the word to explain the meaning saying something like a bowl fit for nobles or a princely bowl. Even in the tents of nomads, there would be expressive things that would be brought out for the most special of occasions or for the most honorable of guests. This is the sense here. A new word is introduced here, sefel, a bowl. It comes from an unused root meaning to depress, so it is a basin as if it has been deepened out. It will only be seen here and in Judges 6.38, where Gideon will wring out a fleece into a safel or bowl. This one is not just any bowl, though, but one of majesties. Jael has brought forth the bowl with curd. Curd signifies milk that is in a partially solid or solid state, such as in thick cream or even butter. It, along with honey, is expressly stated to be what the Messiah will be nourished on. It says in Isaiah 7, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Curds and honey he shall eat that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. It would be both refreshing and nourishing. But because Sisera was already exhausted from his flight, the curds would help make him sleepy as well. The words help explain the comfort Sisera would have felt leading to confidence that he could trust Jael enough to nap before continuing his flight. The clauses form an overall A-B pattern with internal thoughts that are short, abrupt, and lead the mind to anticipate what must then follow. Mayim sha'al chalav natana, besefel adarim hikriva chema. Water asked, milk gave. In bowl majesties came curd. With the mental tension produced by the words, the thoughts of the reader are impelled forward, anticipating what is coming. Verse 26, she stretched her hand to the tent peg, her right hand to the workman's hammer. She pounded Cicero, she pierced his temple, she split and struck through his temple. 
There is as much verbal energy in the words as there was physical energy used by Jael. One can actually sense the action of the words as they unfold. Yada la yated tishlanach vimina lehamut amalim vehama sisra machaka rosho umachatsa vechalfa rakato. I have tried to retain the alliteration and action of the words while still maintaining the original sense they convey. Sisera is peacefully napping, having filled himself from a bowl of majesties chock full of curd. As he lay there, secure and comfortable, her hand to the peg stretched. With her hands, she had brought forth the princely bowl of curd. With them, she stretches out for other implements she is intimately familiar with. First, she uses her left hand, reaching for the peg. Next, and her right to hammer workmen. The word hand is left out, but it is again implied. By doing this, Deborah maintains a desired brevity to highlight each movement. You can see in the first clause, the word left for hand is left out. And in the second clause, the word hand is left out. So she's doing this for brevity and to get the mind active. Her left hand to the peg stretched, left is inserted, and her right hand inserted to hammered laborers. The word translated as hammer is found only here, halmut. It is derived from the verb halam, to hammer. That was seen in verse 522 when referring to the hammering of the horse's hooves. It will again be used in the next clause. To retain the alliteration and consistency, I have translated it as hammer and hammered. The intent is to maintain Deborah's special use of alliteration. Also, another new word is introduced, amel. It comes from the verb amal, to labor or toil. Thus, it means to labor or suffer. As such, it is a laborer. Being plural, it signifies the laborer's hammer. With that, the alliteration referred to is seen next. And hammered Sisera smashed his head. With the hammer, she hammered and smashed. It is another word found only here, machak. It comes from a primitive root signifying to crush. Because the coming words form an alliteration, smashed gives the necessary meaning and sound. And more, the Hebrew is anomatopoetic. One can hear the sound reflected in her words. Machaka rosho, smashed his head. Adam Clark takes this as one action whacking him with a hammer, and then followed by another action, nailing his head to the ground. He says it's two actions. There's no need for that. It is probably one action being described in two ways, which is highlighted by an alliteration. The needed alliterative pairing to this is next scene. And smushed and slid through his temple. Smashed, smushed. I'm keeping the alliteration. The previous word was mahak. This is machatz to dash asunder, to crush, and so on. Deborah, taking every opportunity to highlight the marvelous handiwork of Jael, says she smashed and she smushed. Sisera's head was perfectly pulverized as she profusely pounded. And because of her action, the peg is said to halaf, or pass through his temple. To maintain a background S sound, slid through simply and yet sumptuously, successfully satisfies. <laughs> as in the comments of chapter 4, the actions of Jael are baffingly considered as immoral or completely inappropriate by many scholars. They chide her for her work of assassination and say that nothing morally justifies her actions. 
That is ridiculously absurd when considering the absolute delight in which Deborah, the Lord's appointed judge, heaps praise upon her actions through the use of the superlative words. The brevity, alliteration, and onomatopoetic nature of what she says resounds with implied accolades heaped upon Jael. It is an AABB pattern with beautiful internal structure. Yada la yated tishlanach, vimina lehamut amalim, vehama sisra mahaka rosho, umahatsa vehalfa rakato. A. Her hand to the peg stretched. A. And her right to hammer laborers. B. And hammered Sisera, smashed his head. B. And smushed and slid through his temple. With all of the violent action attributed to Jael, the heroine of the battle, the reaction to what she had done is next described. Verse 27. At her feet he sank. He fell. He lay still. At her feet he sank. He fell. Where he sank... There, he fell dead. Scholars take this as something other than what it says. For example, John Lang says, the smitten chieftain draws himself together. He seeks to rise and falls back. Twice more, he rises convolutely and dies. Similarly, John Gill says, perhaps at her first approach to him, an attempt to drive the nail, or at the blow she gave, he rose up, but she had done the business so effectually at the first stroke that he dropped it once and laid down his head again. Consider the facts previously stated. He was fast asleep. Her adeptness with the hammer and peg would have killed him in a single moment. The rest of this is simply for effect. Ben Ragleha kara nafal shachav. Ben Ragleha kara nafal. Ba'ashur kara sham nafal shadud. Between her feet curled, fallen Lane. The three verbs are all in the perfect aspect, accomplished and complete. The words between her feet mean that he was right where she was squatting to pound out his brains. Once she hammered the peg through his head, there he lay. The next word kara comes from a primitive root signifying to bend the knee. He was already lying down. He didn't sink or crouch. Rather, he was either already in a fetal position while sleeping or the muscles in his knees contracted, pulling in when he got his brains blasted out. The scene is being described after he was terminated. The next word, nafal, means to fall. In this case, saying fallen may lead to the wrong impression, such as that he had fallen. Instead, it means he lay there, fallen. To ensure that this is understood, Deborah next says shachav, a verb meaning to lie down. In this case, it is stated in the perfect aspect, lane. With that, and for maximum effect, Deborah repeats much of the clause. Between her feet, curled, fallen. It is as if Deborah is rejoicing over the gruesome scene. The enemy and oppressor has been subdued and eliminated. And then, once again, she repeats two of the previous words to make sure that we understand the poetic nature of the occurrence. Sisera never had a chance to struggle. Jael took advantage of the situation and subdued him with a bowl of curd. The cleanup operation was to pound out his brains, in which curled, there fallen, pulverized. Right where he was curled up, signified by the locator, in which is where his body lay fallen. And more. Deborah uses the word shadad, a word that comes from a root signifying to be burly, like Charlie Garrett. Thus, figuratively, it refers to being powerful.
powerful. In this case, it was a poignantly, poignantly, and perfectly powerful pulverization. The clauses are complementary and repetitive, giving a marvelous scene of the outcome of Jael's cunning work. They reveal an AAA pattern. Ben Ragleha, Kara, Nafal, Shahav. Ben Ragleha, Kara, Nafal. Ba'ashur, Kara, Sham, Nafal, Shadud. A. Between her feet, curled, fallen, lane. A. Between her feet, curled, fallen. A. In which curled, there fallen, pulverized. With the death of Sisera, the poem turns to the sad words of a mother who will never see her son again. In whom have you your trust placed? And where is the confidence located? There is one path to God that has been traced. All others are ways that God has hated. Have confidence in what he has decided, in the giving of his son for reconciliation. All other avenues are to be derided, but in Christ there is hope-filled anticipation. To have misplaced confidence is an unhappy trust. To be filled with pride will only lead to sadness. Trust in Jesus. That is a must. And with it then comes eternal gladness. Our second thought today is the Son in His strength. It's verses 28 through 31. Verse 28. The mother of Sistra looked through the window and cried out through the lattice, Why is His chariot so long in coming? Why tarries the clatter of His chariots? Be'ad ha'chalon nishkfa vatyabev. Em Sisra be'ad ha'eshnav. Madua boshe rikvo lavo. Madua echere pa'ame markvotav. Through the window, looked and shrilled. The word translated as looked is from a root signifying to lean out. Hence, by implication, it means to look. One can see a woman, the verb is feminine, leaning out of a window. While doing so, she cries out in a shrill voice. Then a word found only here, yavav, is used. It comes from a primitive root meaning to bawl. In this case, and because she doesn't know her son is dead, she is simply shrilling. She is hopefully but hesitantly affirming her confidence that everything is okay. The next words tell us who this is. Mother Sisera through the lattice. Here is yet another new word, eshnav. It refers to a lattice. The lattice is opened and she is leaning out through the open window and lattice, gazing into the distance and asking what any mother whose son had gone off to battle would be asking at this point. Why delayed his chariot to come? The word translated as delayed gives a sense of being ashamed. One can think of a battle going on too long. That would be an embarrassment. If the army was defeated, the soldiers that lived would be embarrassed and delay their return. Her anxiety over the delay of his chariot is evident. Why tarried cadences his chariots? Another word concerning delay is used, ahar. It means to remain behind, thus figuratively to tarry or to procrastinate. She's obviously tense about the delay of the sound, the pa'am of the chariots. That word pa'am signifies a stroke, a beat, or a repeating event, as in a set time each year. The cadences of the chariots, as drawn by the horses, make such a repetitive sound. She's asking why that sound has tarried. The words precisely speak of a mother tensely awaiting the return of her son from battle. They form an A-A-B-B pattern. Be'ad ha'chalon nishk fa vatyabev. Em sisra be'ad ha'eshnav. 
מדוע בושה רכבו לעבור? מדוע אחרי פעמי מרכבותיו? A. Through the window looked and trilled. A. Mother Sisera through the lattice. B. Why delayed his chariot to come? B. Why tarried cadences his chariots? With her tense emotional state and to give full assurance that all is okay, it next says, verse 29, her wisest ladies answered her. Yes, she answered herself. The words are difficult but understandable. Chachmot saroteha ta'anena. Afhi tashiv amareha la. Wise, her princesses answer. After her longingly looking out the window and shrilling about the return of Sisera, and in order to comfort her anxiety, the wise princesses give her encouraging words. As she listens, she takes in the words, and, yea, she returns her sayings to herself. The words are extremely difficult. It could be she assumes that one of the ladies said something she can cling on to, and so thus returning that lady's answers to herself. Or she may have not heard anything that encouraged her. And so she comes up with her own comforting words, returning them to herself. Oh, that's what it is. And then she says it back to herself. I would guess that it is the former. She heard something that she then said, yes, that's certainly it. She then repeats it to herself. That answer to herself comprises her last words, which are coming up in the next verse. The irony is that the counsel of the wisest of her ladies will eventually be proven Incorrect. It is a mournful A-B pattern for anyone who has a heart for a forlorn mother who awaits her son's return. Chachmot saroteha ta'anena. Af hi tashiv amareha la. A. Wise, her princesses, answer. B. Yea, she returns her sayings to herself. With that, the words of hope to comfort Sisera's mother are given. Verse 30. Are they not finding and dividing the spoil? To every man a girl or two. For Sisera, plunder of dyed garments, plunder of garments embroidered and dyed, two pieces of dyed embroidery for the neck of the looter. There needs to be a lot of mental addition to the words. They are short and direct. My translation may be hopeful as the words are complicated. Halo yimtesu yi chalku shalal. Racham rachamataim le rosh gever. Shalal tsvaim le sisra. Shalal tsvaim rekma tseva. Rekmataim le tsav ere shalal. Nay, finding and dividing spoil. It could be the opening of a statement or a question. Or not or nay. I went with the statement as if she is brushing off her previous fears. Why are they tarrying? Nay, they are out finding and dividing the spoil. They will come back filled with plunder. Damsel, damsels to every man. She starts with the feminine captive, but then doubles it. There will be so many dead soldiers that the women will be unprotected and easy prey. Every soldier will come home with a couple of captives. The word raham, damsel, literally means compassion or mercy. In this case, however, it extends to what the compassionate spoil implies, a female. If you're married to a woman like Charlie Garrett, you would understand that. She is my compassion. I feel it every day. From there, the list continues. Spoil colors to Sisera. The word is a noun signifying dyed 
or dyed stuff. Thus, to keep it a single noun, colors is sufficient. However, the mind must fill in the rest. To then explain what the colors are, she continues with her hopeful list of booty. Spoil colors embroidery color. Here's another new word, rikma. It signifies variegated stuff and thus colored embroidery. Her son's army is choosing their newest fashions from the dead army of Israel. Yes, they will all look marvelous upon their victorious return. The colors will also be highlighted in how they are worn or in how much is gathered. Embroideries to necks spoil. It is a most obscure set of words, ending with a noun. What it may be signifying is that there will be so much spoil that the men are laden down with the colored embroidery as it is heaped upon their necks. Or it could mean that the spoil taken meaning the damsels would have colorful embroideries adorning their necks. I would go with that. Thus, it would be a return to the original spoil that she contemplated, meaning the damsels of the first clause. Either way, Cicero's mother is content to console herself, being happily hopeful of having a hearty hello for her hero as he returns with so much plunder. The first clause introduces what is coming. That is then categorized and also expanded upon. It then ends with a return to the original plunder, the women. Thus, A, B, C, C, D is the pattern. Halo yimtesu yi chalku shalal. Racham rachamataim le rosh gever. Shalal tsevaim le sisra. Shalal tsevaim rikma tseva. Rikmataim le tsavere shalal. A. Nay, finding and dividing spoil. B, damsel, damsels to every man. C, spoil colors to Sisera. C, spoil colors, embroidery, color. D, embroideries to necks, spoil. With her hopeful pondering complete, Deborah shows little pity toward the soon-to-be mournful mom. Rather, she exalts in the marvelous victory of the Lord over the enemies of her people. Verse 31, thus, let all your enemies perish, O Lord, but let those who love him be like the sun when it comes out in full strength. So the land had rest for 40 years. Ken yovdu kao oivecha Yehovah, ve ohavav keset hashemesh bigvurato, vatishkot haaretz arbaim shana. Thus, perish all your enemies, Yehovah. This clause certainly includes everything that has been recorded concerning the enemy. Their total defeat to the last man, the ignoble way in which Sisera was crushed, and so on. However, the sudden spontaneity and bursting forth of these words is surely intended to be a mocking conclusion to the prideful thoughts of Sisera's mother. She fully supported her son's decision to go into battle and eradicate Israel. Her anticipation of his glorious return and the plunder she would see heaped upon the army excited her. The thoughts of helpless damsels brought captive, bereaved of fathers, is turned upside down. Instead, she is bereaved of her mighty son. This is what Deborah's words most poignantly refer to. As for those not his enemies, they are defined with the next words. And loving him, according to coming out the son in his strength. The verb is plural, thus those loving him is understood. If one is not loving Jehovah, 
he is by default an enemy of him. Therefore, all who love him are included in these final words of her poem. They are the righteous before God. The sun in his strength speaks of the midday sun. It is the hottest and brightest time when the sun stands in radiant glory over the earth. Her words are reflective of the words of Matthew 13. Matthew 13, 43, then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But the righteousness Jesus refers to must come from somewhere apart from themselves. What he is saying is that in the day, the people of the Lord will be like the Lord. That was given in prophecy by Malachi, just as the final words of the Old Testament were set to close out. Malachi 4.2 says, But to you who fear my name, the sun, the shemesh of righteousness, shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. Jesus is the son of righteousness. His people will shine forth as that sun, bearing his righteousness. Thus, Deborah's poetic words, like the typology of chapter 4, anticipate the coming of Christ and his kingdom. For those of the church, it will be realized at the rapture. For Israel, that will be realized after the tribulation during the millennium. Ultimately, the words anticipate the time when all evil will be swept away and the peaceful rule of the Messiah will last forever after. No person in any dispensation is reconciled to God apart from Jesus Christ. This is the message which is being conveyed. The Song of Deborah has poetically and beautifully expressed this truth. With that, the final words of the chapter are affixed to this verse, and rested the land 40 years. It is letter for letter the same as the corresponding words found in Judges 3.11 at the time of Othniel. 40 is defined by Bollinger as a period of probation, trial, and chastisement. Not judgment like the number nine, which stands in connection with the punishment of enemies, but the chastisement of sons and of a covenant people. And more, because it relates to enlarged dominion or to renewed or extended rule, then it does so in virtue of its factors four and ten. Four is the number of things that have a beginning, of things that are made, of material things, and matter itself. It is the number of material completeness. Hence, it is the world number, and especially the city number. Ten signifies the completion of order. Marking the entire round of anything is therefore the ever-present signification of the number ten. It implies that nothing is wanting, that the number and order are perfect, that the whole cycle is complete. The period of 40 years is given to express the wholeness of the victory of Christ over his enemies. Those who are his have both a state and a duration of time that is impossible for us to properly imagine. That day is coming, and the key to participating in it is found in Jesus. As for the words of this verse, they comprise a contrasting AA pattern with a closing thought for the narrative. Ken yovdu kal oivecha Yehovah. A. Thus, perish all your enemies, Jehovah. A. And loving him, according to coming out the sun in his strength. And rested the land 40 years. The Song of Deborah is a marvel of beauty and intricacy. It has introduced many rare or unique words to scripture, and it has brought forth an amazing array of literary structures to tantalize us. But beyond that, it has presented the thoughts of chapter 4 to us in a new way 
that only more perfectly highlights the workings of God in Jesus Christ. Deborah anticipates the New Testament. Jael anticipates the body of believers who have accepted that word and who are thus granted the righteousness of Christ. For now, that is the church. In the future, it will be those of Israel, along with all others who have come to accept that Jesus is God's Messiah, to bring fallen humanity back to himself. The final restoration of all men comes only through Jesus. As Jesus is the incarnate Lord fully revealed in the New Testament, it is he who even the saints of old sought out as their distant hope. Whether it was those like Job under government or those under the law like David, they knew him as Jehovah. Now we have a fuller understanding of what that means. Jehovah has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Sisera, representing misplaced trust or pride, is a sad picture of most of the world, even innumerable souls within the physical church. Instead of trusting Christ, people turn to the law. If the law could save, there would have been absolutely no need for Jesus. But the Lord united with human flesh, bridging the infinite and thus impossible gap between God and man. This was the final and ultimate anticipation of Deborah and those with her, even if they didn't fully understand it at the time. The battle they faced was a look into the greater battle that was fought and won by the hand of the Lord. Let us remember this and hold fast to him. It is the Lord who ultimately has won the battle, even if he is using imperfect warriors like us in the process. May our trust be in him and remain in him alone. All hail the name of Jesus who has done such great things for us. When I say great things, I mean the whole burden of the law of Moses. 613 laws weighed down upon the people of Israel. Do this and you will live. Nobody did it. Not one of them. Every single one of them failed. A day ago, I got a letter from a lady, and she was thankful for the teaching at the Superior Word. She said, now I know when my pastor says something about uh, tithing, I know I can disregard it. His <laughs> recent thing, I guess, because this is what she included in her letter, was Jesus fulfilled the law, and therefore you should tithe. That was his answer. <laughs> the Lord fulfilled the law, so you should tithe, which is a part of the law and nothing else. That's like saying the Lord fulfilled the law, and so you need to observe the Ten Commandments perfectly or you won't get to heaven. Or the Lord fulfilled the law, and so you must walk around with tzitzit on your garments, right? Whatever it is, take it from the law. That's what you have to do is his idea. But no, the Lord fulfilled all of it, but now you need to tithe. What a crazy way to run your theology. It's all around money. I've been in churches where I remember Sean Hannity said, you know what? I'm tired of Catholicism. I am done with it. He's born and raised a Catholic. He said, I would love to be with a Protestant church, but all they do, I went to these Baptist churches and all they do is talk about money, tithing. They pass the plate 15 times a service. He said, I can't take that. It's just what a way to run a church. This is the focus of our ministry. The focus of the ministry is this word, that tells us about Jesus Christ. That is the focus of what a ministry should be. Anything else is not a good focus of the ministry. Anyway, Jesus died for your sins because he fulfilled the law. You're a sinner under the law. Jesus was buried in fulfillment of the law because he's dead. Jesus rose again, proving that he had no sin of his own and that your sin remains in the grave. This is the gospel message. 
He has done it all. This is what Deborah was anticipating with her wonderful words of Scripture, beautifully and poetically stated. Trust in Jesus. Give your life to Jesus Christ and trust in him. And when people tell you that you need to tithe, tell them the law is fulfilled and tithing is a precept of the law. End it. What a great God we serve. Our closing verse comes from Ephesians 3. It is verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. He's talking specifically about circumcision, but circumcision is a sign of the law. It's mandated under the law. Yes, it's a sign of the covenant between uh, the Lord and Abraham and his people, Genesis 17, but it was eventually codified in the law of Moses. He's saying, don't boast in that. Don't boast in an external sign or something you've done. Boast in Jesus Christ. Boast in what he has done. He is the Lord. We're just little peons living out our lives and then we're going to die. I know it makes you sound, oh, Charlie's saying something diminishing of us. It is. We're just nothing. You know, I, I love to sit all day now. I've, I've, we've got these webcams. I didn't know they had this until a couple weeks ago. Webcams that just go all around the world. Just 30 seconds and then it goes to another one, another one. There's some that have 75, some of them that have 300 cams. And they just transfer. And so you can watch the whole world. It's night here, it's day here, there's people walking here, it's snowing there, whatever. And, you know, I love to put up Japan because he goes from Japan and we sit and watch about 50 uh, webcams in Japan. It just goes from, you know, Shibuya to Genza to, uh, you know, Okinawa and it goes to some mountain out in the middle of nowhere and they just have these cams going, okay? And I'm thinking as I'm watching them, people rushing back and forth, back and forth. Every one of those people Jesus died for. That's what's going through my mind all day long. Every single one of those people Jesus died for. And yet they're rejecting him or they're too busy for him or whatever. And it's all over the world, all over the world. People sleeping, people getting up, people doing their thing. The Lord came to die for every single person if they will simply believe the gospel. It, it puts everything in perspective when you see the whole world in front of you swirling around. One of them actually has a webcam from a satellite. So it's looking back at the world for a couple seconds. That puts it in perspective. I'm watching all of this going on, and then it, here's one that's showing us what we're looking at. Amazing. Amazing time we're living in, and yet people can't see the marvel of Jesus. They're getting farther from him, not closer. Next week is John 10, 22, a sermon that will fill you with theological exhilaration. It's entitled The Feast of Dedication. That'll be our annual Christmas sermon. Be here. 24 December. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. It is he who judges his people according to their deeds. So follow him, live for him, and trust him, and he will do marvelous things for you and through you, okay? Okay, I got a uh, question for you. I sweated over whether I should do this or not, but I, I'm going to do it. If you don't want it, I hope that you will decide to change your mind and want it, okay? <laughs> this is a person named Jemison Lundgren. I've known him for a long time now, through the mail. He's in a wheelchair. Every year he does a calendar. It hangs in the lunch room when you see it every, every year. And he goes around and he takes all of these pictures and he puts scripture to them. And it's wonderful. And so I'd like somebody to have this. And if you don't need another calendar, then just find a place in your house and put it up anyway, okay? It's, this is wonderful. I cherish it. It's got scripture on each one of them. This guy does this every single year. He sends me one every year. This year he sent a couple of them. So I hope you like this. 
raise your hand. I think two people will get this, maybe three. Maybe two. Rhoda's not here. Um, <laughs> okay. What did Caleb inherit? Yeah, you said something. What? Hill country is right, but specifically Hebron. That's right. You put this up in your house and, and love it, okay? Good job. I knew somebody would get You have to think that one through because what is his inheritance? It was the hill country, but it could have been any hill country, specifically Hebron. I was thinking okay. one. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, Sergio did that a couple weeks ago. He walked up afterward and he said, you know, I said one thing, but I was thinking the other. And I understand that. And I empathize with every one of you because you know these things. But, you no, know, if I was sitting there, I'd get two out of every ten. I guarantee it. When you're sitting there under the gun, it's very hard to come up with it. I think that has a lot to do with the embarrassment factor, but you're suddenly put on the, on the scene, too. You're like, you know, so good job, Burke. Okay, um, poem, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper. The Song of Deborah, part four. Blessed from women, Yael, wife Heber the Kenite, from women in the tent, blessed. Water asked, milk gave, in bull majesties, came curd, her hand to the peg stretched, and her right to hammer laborers, and hammered Sisera, smashed his head, and smushed, and slid through his temple, between her feet curled, fallen, lane, between her feet curled, fallen, in which curled, there fallen, pulverized, through the window looked and shrilled, mother Sisera through the lattice, why delayed his chariot to come? Why tarried cadences his chariots? Wise her prince's answer. Yea, she returns her sayings to herself. Nay, finding and dividing spoil. Damsel, damsels to every man. Spoil colors to Sisera. Spoil colors, embroidery. Color, embroideries to next spoil. Thus perish all your enemies, Jehovah, and loving him according to coming out the sun in his strength and rested the land 40 years. Lord God, turn our hearts to be obedient to your word. Give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you. May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God, may our hearts be faithful and true, and we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, how grateful we are for your word. Thank you for the beauty and marvel and majesty of this poem. What a treasure, what a delight, delight. And I hope the people that have heard it or will hear it in the future will enjoy it and relish what is placed in your word all eventually leading to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what he has done. I look at myself and I evaluate myself every day, and every day there's a lot, not one or two things, but many things that fall short, and I grieve over that, and I know other people do as well, sitting here right now thinking, why would you save a person like me? Well, Lord, I don't know, but I thank you that you did. Thank you for the blood that was shed on the tree that was grown for that purpose, the one that he grew specifically for his own cross. Thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord, and it's in his beautiful name we pray. Amen.